0: to create a listener account, and in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening, so you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat, and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today.
1: Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I'll be talking with the three author, one of the three authors of The Great Broadening, How the Vast Expansion of the Policymaking Agenda Transformed American Politics, the book is published this year, very recently, by the University of Chicago Press. The three authors, Brian Jones, Sean Terrio, and Michelle Wyman, uh, have written this this big, significant book. I have Brian Jones on the phone right now. Brian, how are you doing?
2: I'm I'm doing well. Heath, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you for um sharing the book and and agreeing to talk about it. It's it's big in so many ways. There's so much in the book. Before we get to that, maybe you can just briefly introduce yourself and and also uh, the, the co-authors on this project.
2: Sure. Brian Jones, I'm the J.J. Jake Pickle, uh, Chair, Regents Chair in Congressional Studies at the University of Texas in Austin. My colleague is uh, our Sean Theriot, who is a professor at the Department of Government in UT Austin, and Michelle Wyman, one of our former graduate students, now an assistant professor at Florida State. So the collaboration came about when Michelle and I began talking about some of these ideas that had struck me as interesting over the years, from our work in the policy agendas with the Policy Agendas Project, the U.S. Policy Agendas Project, which was established some years ago by Frank Baumgartner and myself. And now we have a long time series of policymaking in the U.S. and other countries, too, because we have a comparative focus on that. Uh, and comparative projects.net will get you to those data sets. So these data sets uh, could be exploited over a period of time since the Second World War. And that's what started our thinking on this. We yeah. Brought, yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, no. The, 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 um, the data in this is so interesting. And, and the, the, the historical span, I think, is what makes the book uh, such a major contribution. If, if uh, in, in reading the book, um, it seems to me that it's really divided into three parts. Um, that is the period before, about 1960, uh, the period between about 1960 and about 1980, and, and the period after, I wonder—is this the right reading of the chronology of the story you tell in the book? And and if so, you know, what what characterized the government in the U.S. in the earliest of period, b- before uh, much of the story goes on here? And then we'll talk uh, about the actual, like, kind of the, the meat of the story here. But is this about of the right course. setup?
2: Uh, yeah, it is, and I'll go into a little more detail, but not too much. One, I, I, I felt for a long time we need to integrate ourselves with history a little bit better. But not uh, always with only qualitative uh, analyses, but also with quantitative analyses, which is the Great Broadening uses, but at mostly a descriptive level, that is simple graphs. The three periods before, during, and after the period we call the Great Broadening is a period from about 1958 to 1978, uh, in which uh, the government uh, uh, moved into so many more new areas of activity that uh, it had not been in before. And I mean, the federal government, it moved into areas previously occupied by mostly the private sector and citizens alone. And it moved into areas previously occupied by state and local governments. And this period was a very quick broadening of government. We call it broadening because uh, it doesn't show up much in expenditure measures, but it sure shows up in the policy agendas measures we use which is basically the number of issues that are invaded, or I don't want to use that word, but occupied by the federal government that were not occupied before. And in the description of these periods, we find lower activity during the uh, period before that, and then this increased activity. After that period, we, we find two patterns, depending on the data set we're working with. Uh, sometimes the data sets uh, tail off. There's less activity. For example, in lawmaking, there's a lot less lawmaking on a lot fewer subjects after about 1980, as you say, really 1978. And uh, uh, other measures, though, stay high. Once they get there, they stay high, and those issues continue to be worked on by the federal government. For example, hearings in Congress. That are not related to lawmaking stay up because these bureaucracies have been built and Congress needs to oversee these bu- bureaucracies and it has continued to do so. So we find these two different patterns. One's an arc, and they show up very clearly in the uh, in the in the graph we show in the book, and the other is a plateau, which plateaus out and stays uh, active throughout the period.
1: So, if we accept that there has been this um, broadening, and we talk, we can talk more about some of the different ways that you measure this. Um, but sort of, a, if we accept this, you credit in the book you and your co-author, co-authors credit a lot of this to to the influence of social movements. Now, this is different than than much of the past scholarship on the kind of the broad topic. I wonder how you explain the the causal story of the impact of social movements on this great broadening. And also, which were the most important social movements at play here?
2: Those are great questions. <clears throat> One, um, we got into this because it just did not look like the standard interpretations would, would do a very good job of explaining the, the totality of the of the uh, broadening period. Uh, for example, we looked at thing, things like public opinion and party changes and uh Uh, interest groups and things like that, that might have accounted for these changes. None of them are, all of them seem important with the possible exception of interest groups. Uh, Certainly public opinion and parties are important, but it didn't seem complete. And you couldn't account for the amount of broadening by what parties are doing, partly because the broadening continued when parties changed. So we began to look more deeply at this and found uh, the explanation, we think, in social movements. Uh, and the social movements included, most importantly, civil rights, the uh, uh, movement for black rights, the war in Vietnam, which does not show up in our broadening measures, but it's important because it, it was a major social movement at the time. The reason it doesn't show up in the broadening measures is because Vietnam War would have fallen under the military power, which are well-established across history. Uh, and women's rights, environmentalism, and consumerism. We see those as the major uh, disruptors in the period. Now, these social movements learn from each other. The laws established uh, governing systems for these, uh, these uh, systems, policy subsystems, as we call them, uh, and locked in much of that great broadening period. Now, we do not claim that the social movements explain everything because parties are important, public opinion is important. Leadership is important. Yes, yes, yes. What we do say is we've really underestimated the importance of social movements on public policy in the study of political science. And it's time we rectify that. Maybe we're wrong. Show us uh, that we are because we we don't have faith that this is the complete explanation. But it sure seemed like an important part of the uh, of the explanation of the great broadening.
1: So a lot of your study is, as you, you have alluded to so far, is about agenda setting and the importance of understanding the dynamics of agenda setting for issue legitimacy and also for setting a path forward on, on government action. So there's this path dependence that runs throughout the book. And In chapter four, you examine the number of new issues that are added to the congressional agenda from the early period in the 1940s up through the 2000s or so. Um, what is the pattern that you discover? And, and why does it matter so much to understand the new issues that Congress takes on, not just uh, the, the, uh, the overall size growth? Uh, what is it about the new things that are added that is so important? And, and uh, do they stay on the agenda or are they new and then disappear?
2: Well, there's a mix, but a lot of them stay on the agenda. And this is really the most important part of what I think we found. And I think we nailed it much better than some of the other elements. Uh, Raising questions in a book, by the way, is as important as answering them. And uh, we don't claim to have answered them all. But in the case of uh, measuring these new issues and how they were treated in the Great Broadening, turns out when the issues emerge and people begin to see them as problems, they don't fall along party lines very well. They don't follow along ideological lines very well. So this party struggle with how to define them in terms of the party identifications that people have. Well, I mean, so we think today of environmentalism and women's rights and civil rights as all being the province of the Democratic Party. Boy, that wasn't true in the Great Broadening. Uh, The parties were split on civil rights, with the uh, Democrats being split between the segregationist wing and the labor liberal wing. Uh, The Republicans were split by those who uh, were more ideologically conservative and those that wanted to reach out to the civil rights community and remembered themselves as the uh, party of uh, Lincoln. Uh, About 40 percent of blacks voted for uh, President Eisenhower in nineteen. 56, uh, the Republican candidate. so uh, there was a, there was no consensus there. Similarly as Christine Wobrick has shown, the women's uh, uh, rights movement was divided, more upper middle class concern than uh, working class concerns among uh, labor rights uh, and similarly with uh, environmentalism, which was certainly a province of the Republican, party at the time because it, uh, Nixon took it on uh, head on and, and dealt with it. So it took a long time for the parties to polarize around these issues. We can see some new issues hitting the agenda now that do that, the same thing to the parties. For example, cybersecurity, where privacy and uh, privacy rights and national security conflict and the parties don't haven't found good positions on those. So the, in the, there was a lot of innovation, partly because the parties had not locked in issue definitions. And we show that. In fact, party polarization starts rising after the Great Broadening, not during it when all this conflict was going on. So it was a, a, an innovative period, partly because the issues were new and, and, the, and, the, uh, and the politicians hadn't figured out how to define themselves on them.
0: Slash nbn fifty to get fifty percent off.
1: Can we stay on that point just for a second? Uh, because I think a lot of people would would assume that this is a story of polarization and that the polarization phenomenon is what pushed uh, these these dynamics ahead. You find something different in the book, if not necessarily to to refute that, at least to make the 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 story much more complicated. So. What is the ordering here? Um, does polarization precede the Great Broadening, or is the Great Broadening uh, starting before the, the polarization dynamic, uh, uh, that is, the increasing polarization dynamic sets in?
2: Yeah, during this period, uh, uh, politics were less polarized during the Great Broadening period. Uh, for reasons that I set out. And as a matter of fact, you, you can see from our analysis that polarization took place afterwards. We can't say exactly what the causes are, but we can say that polarization did not cause a great broadening. That is, it wasn't one party taking on a bunch of big ideas and then jamming them through the electoral system. That's not the way it worked. It worked through a lot of compromise and adjustment uh, and uh, leadership and decentralization, all of those things were going on at once uh, uh, that that caused this innovation. And they resulted in polarization later on as the parties figured out how they might appeal to their constituencies based on these things. So over time, uh, the civil rights issue became increasingly associated with with the Democrats and Republicans were uh, increasingly associated with uh, the attempts to limit civil rights activity. And similarly with uh, environmentalism, today we have an anti-environmental Republican administration and Democrats all in on the issue. Now uh, There are other issues that have done that, but uh, there were so many concentrated in that brief period of time. So you can, you can see that polarization was actually a consequence of the great broadening because as, as the government moved into so many more areas, it gave the conservative party the opportunity to legitimately say, You're moving in all these areas, you don't know what you're doing, you're interfering with people's lives, and you have a conservative reaction to it. That conservative reaction leads later on, very quickly actually, to increases in polarization. Just one finding that will, uh, I hope, provoke some thought among political scientists. There's an idea that everything, the party system stemmed from the realignment of the South as it went from being mostly democratic to mostly Republican, and that's, uh, that, that's certainly true, but the early Republicans elected from the South were no more conservative than their Northern counterparts. Their conservatism scores, their polarization scores, DW nominate scores, as we say in the technical lingo of political science, were no different from their Northern colleagues. It was only later that the whole party moved, and once again, Southerners are a little more conservative, but not terribly so. So um, that was uh, not some regional uh, domination that that, uh, spread to the rest of the nation, or at least the story is much more complicated and involves the policies themselves, which my colleagues who study parties and opinions seem to forget sometimes.
1: Now, uh, the conservative social movement or movements are also integral to understanding the third period in your study and, and the shift in the trajectory of many of your variables you described this as a, as a curve rather than a straight line to illustrate this. How has the conservative movement played a part in the, the great shifts in the breadth and depth of the federal government from, from a distance we would assume they'd be in, in great opposition to it? But what is the what do you observe in the data about this later time period, the period of 1978, 1980 onward in, in the broadening? Does the broadening come to a halt? and remain at that point or is it the trajectory changed in some other way
2: well pretty much came to a halt uh, the way we can measure it uh, in, during that period uh, and you can see some elements occasionally from uh, uh, new issues coming online and getting adopted by government since then but very they're very rare yes the conservative uh, counter movements uh, began with a, a um, Interestingly, late in the Great Broadening, we had a a move toward deregulation. We had regulated lots of industries during the the Great uh, Depression, where government had to take control. But there was two elements that became controversial. One was price regulation, where, for example, the government set airline prices and routes uh, and railroads, which are still a little bit that way. Trucking, all of these industries were very heavily regulated, but they're also regulated increasingly on questions of safety and uh, uh, services that they would be responsible for. So Republicans and Democrats agreed, both Carter in this case, President Carter, and later President Ford, agreed on deregulation. Both agreed on the deregulation of prices. Carter was in favor of continuing safety regulation. Ford wanted to limit some of that. So at first you got this this um, consensus on this. Then the so the deregulation movement it was an important movement that led to a lot of consensus on the issue. But after that it broke down. Uh, so you have the Republican Party moving more into we have Phyllis Schlafly with the um, conservative women's movement. We don't want the equal uh, rights repre- amendment that had become. A, uh, an important topic then, and she was able to mobilize uh, conservative women to stop it. So she's became very, and she's a Republican, so it becomes associated with the Republican Party. So anti-regulation, uh, anti-more uh, conservative on the women's movement, the South had become more conservative, the white South had become conservative on the, a Republican, sorry, on the civil rights issue. So these are the kinds of pushbacks that happen. And in the Reagan era, we got the the pushback on crime. Uh, Crime had become a real problem, and government wasn't doing a very good job of addressing it. And Reagan took advantage of that dragged the Democrats along with him. Uh, So you had a conservative move in that direction, although it added to government, didn't subtract from it because they added uh, lots of of, uh, ways in which you could put people in jail. So the conservative reaction was very important, and it's carrying through to this day. The question is, is it over? Have we gone through that uh, period of time as we did in the the Great Broadening period? I don't know that, but uh, there are some elements of that. So you can use some of the analyses we did in the Great Broadening, bring them forward and say, does this kind of work today with systems sort of wearing themselves out by over success? I don't know. It's a possibility, though.
1: Now, one of the most interesting parts of the book is is towards the end, where you examine the consequences of the Great Broadening. Uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the the longer-term impacts in terms of the administrative state and, and also the work of Congress as a, as a legislative body or something that has been transformed by the Great Broadening.
2: Yeah, we started this project wanting to focus on the consequences, but it uh, turned out that uh, reviewers didn't care for that alone, and so we built up the Try to understand the causes too and that's one reason it became so comprehensive i hope it's fairly uh pithy but uh, it, it is or at least direct uh, but it was uh, built on the idea of uh, these policy explosion had great consequences and we already not about the polarization consequence another consequence was the growth of interest group system interest groups less caused policies, and more um, were reactions to them. So the interest group system grew very quickly after the Great Broadening. The administrative state was built up. Uh, we had a, a lot more regulations and rules from the administrative state, as we show in the book, because we had, we're in government was in a lot of new areas and had to develop new rules and regulations and laws to, uh, to regulate what they moved into. What the government had moved into, um, we uh, mentioned Congress. So, Congress in the uh, during the period of the Great Broadening, most of its activity was directed at lawmaking, and I, we still teach our students that. That's just not right. Congress is mostly an oversight body in which it holds hearings to try to hold the executive branch uh, accountable, and we show that too in the in the book that, in fact, congressional scholars need to begin to rethink. The role of oversight versus the role of lawmaking in, uh, in the, um, uh, in the in the in the legislative branch of, of of the United States. So all of these things are consequences of this vast expansion. And you, it seems so sensible now that is you got a lot bigger government, you better oversee it. You have got an out of control executive branch, and uh, that that's part of Congress Congress's responsibility now. Uh, about ten, only about ten percent of hearings today are on laws, and all the rest about oversight.
1: The, uh, the book, the, the big uh, book with the big title uh, is The Great Broadening, How the Vast Expansion of the Policymaking Agenda Transformed American Politics. You've been hearing from Brian Jones. Uh, the book is published by University of Chicago Press and says so much uh, about where uh, we've been and, and where we're heading. Brian, thank you very much for your time today.
2: It's a real pleasure, Heath, And thank you so much for having me.